All right, welcome everybody to this uh, episode of Breaking Absolutes. It's exciting uh, to me today to get to talk to Mark Tremonti. Um, as a reminder, before we get uh, to the meat of the conversation, uh, my goal with this channel uh, and sort of accepting the invitation from Amazon to do it was to talk to artists that I think are really doing uh, work that pushes the boundaries of the genre um, and that for whatever success and heights in their career uh, that they've enjoyed, uh, the work nevertheless um, deserves a broader audience and, and just more conversation. Uh, and Mark has had a long career that I'm going to talk about in a minute before I bring him on um, that certainly qualifies him in every regard here. Um, so, you know, if you, if you have heard of Mark, you probably know that um, he's a founding member of Creed, a founding member of Alter Bridge. Um, he's now into a rhythm where he's doing his own records under his own name, um, and we're going to talk to him about all of this. But I, I want to, just for the record, I want to um, articulate some of the things that have, uh, the, the sort of outside industry sources that have in some ways just um, lent credibility to um, the success that Mark has had. Um, he's been, um, he's won a Grammy. <laughs> this killed me. He's got the song with Mark, Arms Wide Open. Has got 148 million views. I only know YouTubers, like like streamers, that have these kinds of numbers. So I I, I had to chuckle when I saw just the sheer um, um, audience that that's had. But he's been named guitarist of the year in Guitar World, and we've had some excellent guitarists here. So he's in amazing company there. Um, he's you know Total Guitar put him as the fourth greatest heavy metal guitarist of all time. And I understand that these are subjective. Um, um, accolades. Nevertheless, they are accolades. There's, you know, people who work in the industry are acknowledging Mark's contribution. Um, stunning numbers with Creed. Uh, he's got two albums that are six times platinum, one that went diamond, um, another went, you know, double platinum. These are just sort of unheard of numbers. Um, then he rolled into Alter Bridge, um, has got um, so many chart positions with Alter Bridge that, that it would be fruitless. To, we'd spend the whole hour just talking about that. But I want to mention these things because um, in addition to the attention to the craft that, that we know Mark has and that we'll talk about, um, it, it's suggestive that, um, that he's doing something right to be able to replicate the success again and again and again. And that's really valuable for a lot of our, our followers who are musicians. Um, so with that, I'm gonna, I've got a whole bunch more prep here. Maybe I'll put them in the notes on uh, what Mark's achieved. But let's just bring him on and get to the fun stuff. Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me. How yeah. are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, I, I wanna talk, I just wanna start at the very beginning a little bit. Um, and I, this is probably a question you've had, but what was the catalyst for music? Were you in a musical family? Did you hear, hear a song or a record that just sort of suggested that that's your North Star in life when you were a young kid? Uh, you know, it was just one of those things. Whenever I heard a song come on the radio that down to the car, I would, I would immediately just be drawn to it. So it was, um, you know, silly songs. Like um, I remember Jay Giles' band had a song called Love Stinks, and it broke down to just this simple guitar riff. So I immediately went out and bought that, that record. And um, and then um, I saw the movie Back to the Future. Couldn't uh -huh. believe that scene blew my mind. And then um, uh, I met the movie Crossroads. You know, the, those were two great movies for guitar players that I that I uh, said, you know, I want to do this. I want to tackle this. And I had two older brothers live up, that lived upstairs. Um, one of them was a uh, 
extreme metal fan and one of them was a commercial rock fan and i kind of took in both of those worlds and um became became a fanatic along the way so it was guitar from the beginning it, it um it when i said you're because you're of italian descent and some yeah yeah mm -hmm. something about italians and guitar because i've had john petrucci on the show who's a favorite of mine al petrelli so like i think i was born with the wrong ethnicity <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, those are two incredible guitar players. You know, I've 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 gotten to spend a lot of time with John, but I, I'd love to meet Al Petrelli. He's an, he's definitely a, a phenomenal player. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just kind of the lighter side of things. But um, um, I just I, I like hearing a little bit of the backstory in the, you know, the early years. Um, you later uh, went to Clemson, uh, mm -hmm. but you majored in finance. Was that a yes. fail safe against? you know, a starving artist thing, or was you like you committed to Wall Street or something? Uh, you know, I just, I just knew that it was a long shot, you know, to begin with, but I knew I was driven. I, I knew I, would, I wouldn't stop uh, unless I was an old guy being told no until I was 40 years old. I, I was going to keep on going. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, you know, I put myself through college. I worked, you know, in restaurants and car washes uh, to put myself through school. So I tried to put bands together while I was in school and told myself if I didn't get a record deal, I'd get a degree. Um, I wasn't going to put all my eggs in one basket. I was, I was being, I was trying to be, uh, my eggs were all in that, that rock and roll basket. I wanted it more than anything in the world, but I needed to pay the bill, bills along the way. So I was going to try to see myself through college. Yeah. And, but it wasn't, uh, you didn't really ever go out into the financial district. It was out of college. No. You were doing rock. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, I was, I think I did five years of college and um, like I said, I was working full time. So I couldn't finish college in time because I was only taking maybe nine credit hours a semester Yeah. while I was working the day job. So it's uh, did everything I could to try to find musicians in town to play with and, and write as many songs as I could and record. And I think those were the years where I kind of learned how to become a songwriter the most, I think in high school and, and college. Yeah. Well, let's, let's transition and talk a little bit about this. Um, I want to I want to start with your your voice. So you know now at this place in your career um, because you've got Tremonti and you've done vocal work in your previous bands, but of course in this you know in, in this uh, musical effort you are the front and center guy. Um, is your, I'm always interested to learn if there's been any sort of formalized uh, approach or training, or if all it's all just practice and usage where you've arrived at this way you use your voice. I, I took lessons from a couple people, but, but they were just single lessons. And I, um, you know, these are smart people. They, they know how to teach people how to sing, but I just never took much away from them other than warm-up exercises and whatnot. Um, yeah. I feel like the, the best way for me to learn how to sing was getting out there on stage and, and surviving. You know, it was, yeah. uh, I don't think anybody can just sit in their room and, and think that what they're doing in their room is going to sound the same when they hit that stage and the adrenaline's going. I think it's, uh, you know, trial by fire. When you're up there singing on stage, you're going to learn to do things out of survival mode that make you a better performer and, and singer in general. But, you know, that being said, I took those lessons. I did my best to learn the proper way to sing. But I think the best thing to do for me is to, like for the past, three years or so, I would take Frank Sinatra tunes and, and break them down and listen to how he pronounces his, his vowel sounds and listen to, listen to how he phrases and 
where he breathes and, and all the little tiny in intricacies that you, um, you're not going to get taught in a vocal lesson. You know, this yeah. is stuff you're only going to teach yourself if you're a big fan. It's just, I tried to take what I learned on the guitar and put it over to the vocals and try to try to tackle, you know, vocals that way. Sinatra is another Italian. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. My favorite singer. Yeah. He's, uh, he's of all of that sort of standard era. He's my favorite too. I'm a big fan of that, that whole era of music. And I had read that, that um, he was a favorite vocalist of yours. Um, and of course, for me, one of the things that he's just so consummate at is um, it always feels like he's having a conversation with the audience. The way he phrases yeah. is not predictable. Um, it's so approachable. Um, and there's there's a lot of that in your voice, <clears throat> in particular in the places where um, um, it's softer. Uh, and it, it's a, I'm going to just jump to this question so I don't forget. But I, as I was listening to so much of your music, um, one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, all the, the big stuff's really thrilling and I want to talk about it. But there's, there's a lot of sections where you're playing an acoustic guitar, you're playing on a clean tone, uh, and your vocal stylings against that. Um, there's, there's often I kept, I wanted that, those parts to go longer. And it, it leads me to the question, have you considered a fully sort of acoustic or sort of lower sort of tempered record? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's something that I recently became comfortable with is singing in my lower register. I used to try to hide my, my voice, you know, by singing higher, singing out of my range so I can color my voice differently so it doesn't so it doesn't sound like my speaking voice because yeah. like anybody else you hear your voice your voice back on an answering machine you're like ah my voice sounds bad <laughs> you know I think everybody is a little um I think singers in general um when they were younger probably didn't you know were uncomfortable hearing themselves recorded unless they were just Michael Jackson and as a kid they were singing like you know the best singer in the world but yeah. for me it, I tried to color my voice to make it sound as different as I could. And then years later, I'm like, you know what? I like singing along the lines of Frank Sinatra down in my real voice where I can, where my range is not strained, where I can actually um, use my vibrato correctly and pronunciation right and, and, and breathe right and not just scream like a caveman. And most of the time on my records, 90% of the time I'm screaming like a caveman because it's just, it's just what I do in the hard rock thing, but yeah. I really enjoy singing in my full, my lower registers now. And um, I think my producer Elvis, he, he gave me the confidence as well. He's like, whenever I would sing those lower parts, he really enjoyed it. And he'd tell me that he, he loved those parts. And me, I thought it was a weakness not being able to hit those an octave higher. Yeah. But, um, you know, in the long run now, I realize that I'm going to, I'm going to use that, uh, the strengths of practicing all that lower, that lower range stuff and, and try to put that in some future records. I, I read a comment you made where you talked about for all of the, um, I guess, sort of, I don't know, uh, success you've had and um, you know, people who enjoy your shredding, um, you made the comment that that's not really, leading with the technique wasn't your thing. It was always about the song. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it seems to me that what you're describing, there's part and parcel of that. Like if you're not the guy who can hit, you know, uh, a high F, don't, don't even try. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, one of the things I, I wanted to, to sort of applaud you for is 
you you were sort of un um, unapologetic about the fact that hey, when I get out on on tour, sometimes I'm going to tune down a, a pitch, a note, yeah, so that I'm not so that I'm comfortable. And I, um, I don't, you know, I think there are some purists fans in, in all camps who like, ah, oh, it's got to be like the record. But um, you've got a very like rational, um, mature, I think way you approach the voice um, because I, I, I read a whole bunch of, of uh, your interviews and how you think about the, um, the vowels, like you were talking about the vowels you're going to sing and where you're going to place the vibrato. And those are, those are things, frankly, that younger vocalists just don't consider. And I used to not consider that as well when I was younger. And um, yeah. I think when I, when I studied um, mainly Frank Sinatra, you know, when I studied him, I would, um, I would, I would write down the lyrics and I would, um, I'd put them in my computer program and I would move them to how he phrased them. So if one line starts later, it would, the, my next line would start later. And then I would type it out. You know, if he said appealed, he pronounced it like A-P-E-E-Y-U-L-D. So I'd, I'd write it out how he pronounced it. And then I'd put over each word, each, any instance where he has vibrato, I'd put it exactly where he put it. Um, and then I would, I'd write little diagrams of his pitch. So I remember exactly where he's going on it. And um, so I had these pretty, um, it's so funny. We're talking about this right now and I've got it right here. Uh, I've got pages and pages and pages and pages of Frank Sinatra vocal notes here. Wow. For, for each, you know, each song, you know, like in Luck Be a Lady where he goes, uh, a lady doesn't leave her ass cart. You know, I got the big capital O here. It's like you got to really <laughs> ort. But um, I went, I dove deep on that stuff. And um, it made sense to me because I dive deep on the guitar. I like to listen to a guitar player and pick out what makes them that guitar player and what, what, are, what are they doing? Um, what are their little things that make them who they are and, and um, try to try to pull those out by, with using my ear. And um, I think doing that for 30 years or plus, I, I'm like, you know, why can't I just do this with vocals as well and come Absolutely. up with a, a different system of really trying to, to imitate them. And with, with Sinatra, I could do it because um, his, his range is my range. Um, his high notes are my high notes. His low notes are my low notes. So yeah. I think the lowest note he sings is uh, um, together. There's a song called Wave where he hits, that's his lowest note I've heard him sing. And that's, by far the lowest note I could sing. So I couldn't necessarily do this technique by listening to S Steve Perry. I can't say, I can't hit those notes, yeah. you know? So I got to find singers where I can actually replicate what they're doing. With a guitar, you can pick any guitarist you want, but with singers, you got to find your, your range. Yeah, no, it's, it's really smart. Um, there's the, the, the whole conversation around finding uh, a resonant vowel um, and how that's going to play against the rest. And the vocal rhythms, something I've become more attenuated to is how the vocal rhythms play against the, the rhythmic uh, audio bed. Those are all just, I think, un undervalued um, or less understood elements of good vocal singing. And so it was, I'm a, I'm a trained vocalist, so it was delightful for me to see how much um, thought you're, you're you know, um, using in your approach to vocals, um, I'm, and I think your fan. I think the, the music is, as a consequence, the music, you know, is showing that. Well, thank you very much. It means a lot, you know, because I put I probably put more work into 
um, my singing over the last couple of years than, than the actual guitar playing. Cause I'm just practicing, you know, falling in love with, with, uh, trying to tackle the voice now, you know, cause the guitar has been a, a lifetime thing and this has been more of a recent thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's bearing fruit, my friend. I, um, I've been impressed and it, the music, your music has always been good. And it's, so this is my, this is my segue to the songwriting. And it seems to me, and this is not a rocket science observation, but it seems to me that from the very beginning with, with Creed and then on through Alter Bridge, which is, you know, continuing and, and your own work that one of the constants is your songwriting. Um, and that's, you know, you can get better at songwriting, but it's a hard thing to teach because for me, anyway, I, it, it seems like there's something instinctive about really great songwriters, but I wanted to ask you about this. Are there in your, in the same way that you have sort of thoughtfully approached voice and we haven't talked about guitar as much, um, which is ironic since that's, you know, your main instrument. Do you, do you do this sort of breakdown work on great songwriters that you admire? You know, I, um, it's funny you say it's, you can't really teach songwriting. I, I, um, I do clinics when I'm on tour and I teach guitar and songwriting and I do my best. I, I don't teach, you can't teach somebody how to create, but you can teach somebody how you do it. Right. Um, so I give people ideas on how to get started with some ideas that I've used in the past. So it's, uh, what I try to do is challenge myself to get a new room of people in there and write something in front of them, write a bunch of things in front of them. And, uh, it, the, title track of of our new record uh, um marching in time that was started in one of my clinics so i i have the actual recording of me writing the verse and the melody and the, the guitar part for that when i'm on the spot in front of folks and uh i i heard myself saying all right guys now i'm gonna write the melody and i sing the melody and it all kinds of happens on that little in that clinic there so it was um i'm glad i got to capture that um but yeah, no, songwriting is, I would get, I would get irritated for most of the beginning of my career when people would just say, you're a guitar player, you're the lead guitar player. But what I really am is a songwriter before anything. The guitar is just what I use to write songs. And the lead guitar stuff just kind of came along for the ride of sitting in dressing rooms for, you know, how, how 25 years of touring. Yeah. Uh, so it's, to me, songwriting is by far the most exciting thing to do. You know, vocal melodies are my favorite thing to write. Um, me and Miles agree, you know, vocal melodies are king. It's the, everything else falls in place after that. Uh, yeah. I don't care, you've written the best riff in the world. If it, if you can't sing something over it, um, you know, the, the guitar players and musicians are gonna love it, but you know, the, the melody is what hits you in the heart, you know? Yeah, 100% true. There's been, you know, Eric Johnson and, and Satch and all the guys who have written these great instrumentals that, that touch you, you know, that's, that's, that's hard to do. Yeah. But I think a melody of the human voice really is the thing that best grabs, grabs somebody, you know? Yeah. There's, there is an, an ineffable quality to the human voice. Uh, I mean, I love great rock instrumental records um, by, you know, some of the great, um, um, you know, even John, um, Petrucci, I love his solo stuff, but there's a, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I know that of course the, the, the guitar is sort of taking over the, the lead melody there, but hearing something sung by a human, um, just ha can have a stronger effect. Mm -hmm. Um, no doubt about it. 
And it's interesting to me, uh, what you said is probably a better articulation of what I was trying to say around um, teaching songwriting uh, is, I don't know that you, I don't think you can teach someone to be creative. I know that you're a little bit of a Stephen King fan. Um, mm -hmm. if, if the, if the internet is to be believed yeah. <laughs> uh, and you've read his on writing. And one of the things that King is, uh, I'm also a writer. And so I, these worlds converge for me. And, uh, and he talks about this. He, he says you can improve writing, but he doesn't think you can teach someone to be a writer. Um, mm -hmm. There's something sort of deeply instinctive about storytelling that is as, you know, inborn as, as all kinds of gifts that someone might have, but that mm -hmm. those things can be improved. Um, so it's just a, it's a creative uh, approach, but the, the, this all circles back to my thought. And this is the compliment, I guess, less than a question is that one of the things that you are centrally um, very gifted at is songwriting have been from the first record. Um, Thank you. That's what I've worked on harder than anything else. So I appreciate that. You know, that's, that's something that you want to be recognized for more than anything else. That's to me, that's the, that, you know, when I, like when I, when I do these clinics, I tell all the guitar players, focus on songwriting. You could be the best guitar player in the world, but you're hunting down the kid next door who can play three chords and write a song because you want to be in a band with him so you can play gigs because he's written the songs. You know, yeah. songwriting key. It's the most important thing out there for, in a, for a musician. It's what's going to keep you uh, as a musician, um, keep your career. You know, you don't have to keep chasing other people, relying on other people. You can rely on yourself to write your own song. Yeah. I think there's been, uh, at least in certain periods of sort of rock and metal history, uh, um, to a hyper focus on technique um, or, or specific, you know, personal ability at your instrument, um, where uh, those things are great and they're wonderful to look at. But if they aren't in service of a great song, then they're just, it's, you know, somehow they just don't rise to um, any sort of human um, response in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that I, I just wanted to to um, mention that because, because all the accolades I, I listed up front, I think are a consequence of the songwriting. Um, and that does not mean that there weren't great singers and great band. All it's all it's a you know it's a team sport, um, yeah. for sure. But there's but it's undeniable that you you're at least one of the through lines in all of that. Well, thank you very much. That's that's what I spend most of my time doing is songwriting. You know, like I said, the guitar playing comes along for the ride. You're sitting there with a guitar in your hand. You're gonna learn a few things along the way, but the. Um, when I'm sitting in my studio for hours and hours and hours, I'm not just practicing licks. I'm, I'm writing a song. You know, that's, I, I do practice licks. Don't get me wrong, but that's mostly for when I'm around people in my dressing room. And when I'm writing, I, I like to be, I like to be alone when I'm writing. Yeah. So if I'm in a dressing room with a crowd of people, I'll learn some licks. And you, uh, you made this comment. I saw that it, uh, you regard it sort of like a muscle. That you need to exercise in order to, to stay strong. Yeah. Um, I think that's amazing advice. Um, uh, it's the same thing in writing fiction. Even if you're a great fiction writer, if you stop doing it for a long time, you don't just start up at the level you left it. Like there's, yeah. you know, um, but you, there's you made a door. Yeah. There's a door that you open in your brain and your imagination that uh, takes a while to open back up. If you take too long off, you know, to me, it's yeah. like a, it's almost like a two week, uh, process of getting that back to where you're feeling creative again. You know, I doubt yeah. when, when I, when I go on a hiatus, so sometimes when I finish writing a record, 
I will say, now it's fun time. Now I'm just going to pick up the guitar and I'm going to play some lead stuff and just, just play around on the guitar and not worry about the next album for a while. And then after I take, you know, two or three months doing that and I come back to songwriting mode, that's when I doubt myself. Hey, did I lose my, did I lose my mojo? Did I lose my, my thing? And then, then you'll have one night where it all comes back, you know, and sometimes it takes two weeks, but you never, you never know, but it's, that's the exciting thing about songwriting is when you're capturing that lightning in a bottle, it hits you out of nowhere. You know, you don't have no idea where it's going to come from in it. And when it hits you, you know it. And that's, that to me is the biggest uh, rush as a musician, capturing that lightning in a bottle. Yeah. When your song is, is the addiction that keeps me going as a songwriter. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. For, uh, I have, you know, you're obviously at the other end of the spectrum, but what success I've had in music, there's two moments I love. And it's the moment of creation when I'm doing the songwriting and then it's, it's getting to um, share that live on stage. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, I would do suffer all of the indignities of the, of the, uh, of the yeah. rock world for those two moments. Absolutely. You know, the, the release days, when you release your singles or your, your album comes out, those are exciting days. Some of my favorite times are the, the month or so in between mixing and release where you get to kind of listen to your album when it's still a secret to the world and, and kind of anticipate what folks are going to, how they're going to receive it. And, um, you know, it's, it's what keeps us going as songwriters. I love it. Yeah. Well, good. Let's dive into the music a little bit. And there's, you know, we're not going to have time to, to go through it in, in great detail. And I want to sort of um, backload towards the most recent stuff, but I want to just ask a couple of questions out of the gate. There was so much success for Creed, like just enormous success. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, did that um, success create more, more pressure or more freedom? And what I mean by that is, did, was there, you know, was the record label and even inside the band or, or inside yourself, this like, oh man, I've got to replicate this. Or did the success of it somehow liberate you? It's like, oh, I'm validated. Like I can do this now. And then it flowed more easily. Um, I think both at the same time, you know, it was, um, I think at first there was a lot of pressure, you know, it was, um, you put out your first single and it starts doing well. And then you hear the industry say, you're a one hit wonder. And then you come out with your second single and it does well. And then uh, your first record's over with and they say, all right, you're going to have the sophomore slump on your second record. And then the second record comes out and it does well. People are always doubting. People were doubting us uh, the whole way. And, um, you know, and towards the end, people just straight up wanted us to fail. We had a lot of, we had a lot of people on our side in the first couple of records, but by the third record, that seemed like a lot of the, um, a lot of folks were, I think, tired of hearing us on the radio and tired of, uh, you know, just, uh, we were, we were, we were everywhere at one point and, and, um, we just started getting some backlash from it. So it was the, the freeing up thing that you're talking about feeling like, all right, now I'm free to do my thing. I don't think that happened for me until, uh, the AB3 record. Um, I still think on, on one day remains, I was in survival mode, hundred percent. Blackbird, we didn't, when we were writing and recording Blackbird, we had no manager. We had no record label. We were on our own. We were, oh, wow. we were pretty much at the bottom. Uh, we didn't know if we had a future. And I think the Blackbird record is the best record we ever did. Um, and uh, 
after Blackbird, after we kind of had the success of that record and started doing AB3, I know I started noticing or just thinking to myself, I think we're at the point now with our fan base is, is so loyal that if, as long as we keep putting out um, stuff that we've worked very hard on that we always will, that our fan base is always going to be there for us. You know, it's not a, when I was younger, I thought, ah, by the time you turn 27, you're old and you're, you're going to be, you're going to have to retire. But um, I think our fan base has grown with us and, and uh, I feel pretty confident that they'll be with us for until we want to hang it up. Yeah, you guys have you guys are in that rarefied air of having an audience that um, is your audience. They're not the ones that are listening to whatever sort of transitory tune comes across the radio or Spotify, um, which is a you know an, an enviable position to be in, but but an earned position, right? I mean, um, you put out good music again and again and again in order to earn that fan base. Um, uh, so uh, you know. Um, which is which is to your credit because you guys have done that but it's still interesting to hear you talk about like even in the after so much success there's still moments where you, you guys were feeling like oh you know how close are we to just having to hang it up uh oh yeah there's a lot of those moments and this is you know this is all i've ever wanted to do you know so this is um when i had all the success in the world with creed and i saw it all falling apart um me and and scott phillips our drummer at we would both kind of quit the band and tell it and then talk each other back into the band at the same time. That went on for like a year, you know, where I'd say, I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm over it. And then Scott Phillips be like, come on, man, let's don't, don't leave me here. And I do the same thing with him. And finally, one day we both kind of agreed at the same time, you know, we've, we didn't get into this when we were younger to be in a band that was just going to be a stressful career. You know, we wanted to get right. into this and, so we had figured at that point we had enough success to at least get the door open for us on another project so we um looked for a singer that was as different from scott as we could to to, to start over just so we're you know last thing we wanted to do was start a new band and, and um cover creed songs you know we wanted to do something different so we found a singer that was very different and uh, you know, looking back on it, I think that was a pretty ballsy thing to do because it alienated, it probably alienated a lot of our fan base that liked a certain sound that we immediately changed. But um, I think at that point in my career, I learned, you know, you, you got you to gotta keep yourself happy and do it, do what you're, what you as a fan of your, your music would want to hear, you know. And one of the things um, about that is, so it's true, you know, you guys have earned this audience that's going to come along for the ride. Um, but the, do you, would you agree with the idea that in general, rock and metal fans are, it's, it, they're, they're not fans that are of an age anymore. Like the, because rock and maybe it's because rock and metal isn't the thing that's principally listened to by teenagers the world over. But do you think that there's, it, it, in some way, that creates more opportunity for people who want to play rock and metal to not be so restricted by age? Yeah, you know, I, like I said before, I thought that, you know, if you were, if you came out in your early 20s, you would have until, by the latest, you turned 30 before you were ousted, you know, and yeah. it was a young man's game. But I think, I think, you know, there were certain things that the internet brought 
that were bad and certain things that were good. I think one good thing was is all the people that we grew up listening to because of this huge oversaturation of music and everybody can hear anything whenever they want. Everybody still loves the bands that were out before it all happened to be that way. So bands like Iron Maiden and um, will tour until they're, you know, until they're 80 years old, if they want Um, Metallica's all the bands that were had their foot in the door before the internet really took off and all the streaming things took off and the YouTubes and everything, I think now can go as long as they want. And I think, that wasn't the case before. And I think we're, we're lucky to be able to be one of the bands that can, uh, that have been around long enough to have a career that we can, you know, write out until, until we just feel like it's time to hang it up. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And there, there is a saturation, you know, even, even in rock and metal um, for its corner of the sort of larger music category has, there's an inundation of, of new records um and some of them are good but you know if i can kind of um cohere this whole conversation a little bit the thing that's absent on a lot of it this sounds like i'm throwing shade and i I don't mean to do that but the thing that's absent on a lot of it is songwriting um Mm. it's easy now to be really sort of mean and aggressive and you can get all kinds of sounds and um you don't have to go to studios now to have good production there's so many tools available to everybody it's the same thing that's happened in writing. I keep drawing that analogy, but I think sometimes it helps bring clarity to what I'm trying to, to say. And that is today the tools exist. So you can just type out whatever your story is and hit a few buttons and publish it to the world on Amazon. Part yeah. of that's really cool. And part of it also creates this like this absence of, um, it, sometimes they're called gatekeepers, but people who understand what good fiction is and are, their job is to help us make sure we, that the, the, we get the good stuff and we don't have to start a parsing among a bunch of stuff that is just not ready, you know, hasn't, doesn't have the craft work. And I think it's the same with music. I hear so much stuff and you can, there's, there's, there's raw gift down in it, but some of it's just, um, it can get to me so fast that there's, there's, um, it doesn't seem like the, the, those who are involved have, have paid enough attention to their craft. And that sounds like a get off your, my wand statement a little bit. Uh-huh. But I don't know if I find some truth in that. And, um, uh, but you guys, you know, you, you do predate this democratization, as it's called sometimes, of music availability and distribution. And, um, you know, um, you've done it not, I don't think it's just because of that. I think it's because you guys write good tunes. Like, in fact, I think your most recent record, um, this might draw some, some blowback for me, but I think it's the best record you've ever written. Oh, thank you very much. And I, I say that having over just the past couple of days, like done the, I did like almost a full catalog listen to all your stuff. I just, you know, uh, marathoning it because I wanted to see if I could understand something about the genesis of your career. And mm-hmm. what I, what my big takeaways were the songwriting was in evidence at the beginning and, and sonically there've been changes. And I know that you're, you personally are a fan of trying to inject an, something into each record in order to, to do something new. Um, But this most recent record is a, for me is a high watermark for you in terms of the vocal work you did, um, the, some of the creative techniques you did. And I want to talk about those in a minute on some of the tracks and um, uh, and the maturity of the songwriting, some of the choices that are made. I just uh, was really impressed by that. And it made me think, well, that's a person who's not content. 
No, no. I mean, it's 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 the never-ending quest for the perfect writing, the perfect song, or the perfect album. It's why why we keep doing it. You know, it's on this record. I you know, as far as the solo record, the Tremonti band stuff is gone. I had more time to put this record together than any of the other ones by far because of COVID and because yeah. of all the downtime. Um, it was the first time I really had, you know, a year and a half to think about a record and put it together. You know, usually, you know, it'll take me two years to write an album, but I'm not focused just on that album. You know, I'm doing, I'm touring and I'm right. doing a bunch. Of but I got to, instead of spending a couple of weeks making demos for this record, I got to spend three months making demos for before pre-production. So it was when we hit the studio, these songs were so done, so done from start to finish as far as the arrangements, as the lyrics, the transitions, everything was ready to go. So when we played the songs for Elvis, he was, he's like, yeah, this is, let's just, we got to cut for four of these songs and then let's go with the rest. They all sound great. You know, they're all, we didn't need to pick them apart or they are they had been picked apart to death you know already you know which is which i think as a songwriter is um not good to do every single record i think it's good to do um every few records you know i think sometimes it's great to do that record where you're capturing lightning in a bottle and you're doing it kind of on the fly yeah and sometimes it's great to really cross every t dot every i on a record you're going to get different records both ways and if you listen to Alter Bridge Blackbird and you listen to Alter Bridge um, Last Hero, completely different songwriting processes. Last Hero was lightning in a bottle. Blackbird was meticulously planned out and, and tons of time put into it. So I like to, I like the fact that I, for the first time in my career as a solo artist, I got to spend that time to do that album where where we got to spend all the time in the world on every single arrangement idea that we could every single anything we could throw at the songs we threw at them before we we knew it was going to be finalized now before we dive deep on uh, the, your most recent record um i don't want to do short shrift to uh, alter bridge let me ask, ask you a few questions there mm -hmm. um the you, there's and some of this is is, is going to reflect my bias because i love narratively based music um, uh, concept albums in particular. And there's, um, there's a sense with um, AB3, uh, uh, sort of a, a loose conception. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, that was, uh, that was a, that was Alter Bridge's darkest record. Um, I think that was when Miles and I were kind of having those conversations about, um, you know, Miles just doesn't believe, he doesn't have any Miles is about the best guy in the world, nicest guy in the world. But he, you know, when it comes to God and faith in general, I think he just he jokes about it, but he kind of throws away like, um, you know, doesn't believe anything and thinks it's all kind of silly. You know, it's yeah. like a. Um, but he says that on the outside, but then he writes these songs. You know, like "Show Me a Sign" about, you know, that's a dark song. That's a dark song about about. Uh, you know, the thoughts of faith and, and whatnot. And, and if you look at um, words darker than their wings, you know, that's a, that's a direct conversation between me and Miles about how we both feel about God and about life beyond our lives. And, uh, you know, I don't know if 
I, just like anybody else, I don't know if God exists, but I hope he does. You know, I hope there's some better, bigger purpose for all of us. And Miles is just like, there is no bigger purpose. This is just be a good person while you're alive kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just kind of conversation between two people with different views, you know, and, um, you know, it's that record kind of dealt with the, that, that kind of issue. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, and do I remember that, that the, the catalyst, the catalyst for that was a phrase from game of Thrones. Where's Sarkin in the wings was when I was reading game of Thrones. Um, I came across that line. I just thought it was an incredible line. You know, yeah. it came from, you know, they were sending their, their crows or their ravens from, from castle to castle delivering messages. And, so that the words in those messages were darker than the bird's wings. And it was, it's yeah. just such a cool, such a cool line. I was like, I got to use that somewhere. Um, just like the, the uh, first, the first record one day remains. I was watching the movie Donnie Darko. And as the, as that movie went along, it would say, you know, 30 days remain, 14 days remain. And that got down to one day remains. Like that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Line. One day remains to what, <laughs> you know, so I thought that was a good title for the, for the first record. You guys also did, Alter Bridge also did a uh, graphic novel, mm -hmm. um, right? Um, yeah. Um, are, when it came to that, did you participate at all in any sort of the narrative stuff or did you kind of just give them a concept? No, they kind of ran with it and then would turn stuff in to get our approvals on it. I changed a few things, but um, for the most part, it was, it was just let them loose. We had great artists, great storytellers just to do their thing. It's, it's definitely much more comic book style than it is, you know, like a novel kind of style. So it yeah. wasn't, I didn't feel like I, I should, you know, butt in too much. I think they, they knew what they were doing. The, the artwork is awesome. It's, uh, you know, to be honest, I've, I've had to read through it very quickly a whole bunch of times. So I, I haven't been able to just sit down and relax and read it at, at a nice slow pace. I've, I've had to read it like, you know, 10 times super fast. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to sit down and just enjoy it. Yeah. I, I didn't even know about it. So I'm going to have to pick up a copy. It looks um, great. Station's amazing. The, the case and everything. Is, yeah. Is awesome. Yeah. The product patch, packaging looks really well done. Um, as we, as I step into marching in time, one of the questions I have is how do you make decisions around what music you write belongs to Alter Bridge versus your own uh, well, as soon as I finished writing uh, or finished recording a record, like when I finished Walk the Sky, I immediately just turned my brain on to writing the next record, next Tremonti record. Um, but what I'll do is I'll immediately put on my my metal hat and and go in the heavier direction than the Alterbridge stuff. Um, so if, the, if it's got any kind of speed metal influence, any kind of horse gallop and rhythm guitar stuff on it that I loved growing horse up gallop. playing. Oh my gosh. You know, I grew up on Slayer and Exodus and Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth and all that stuff. So Testament and my metal rhythm guitar was, that was, that's, that's home base for me. Yeah. Um, that's where I'm, you know, certain guitar players, when they grow up with a certain technique, they'll always have it no matter what, if they're warmed up or not, the metal rhythm stuff is kind of my, where I started. So um, uh, I forgot what the question was. Um, well, it was how you make the decision to have something oh, yeah. be. Yeah. So that stuff I was getting into, all the metal stuff, I couldn't, I can't really do an altar bridge because my rhythm section looks at me like I'm crazy. If I pull out a Megadeth style riff, they're, they're like, come on, man, we're not, 
we're not that kind of band. So um, that happened to me over and over and over again until I started my first Tremonti record. And that, that record had the Wishy Wells and the, all, all the you know, metal stuff in it. And um, so that being said, whenever I have a metal idea, it goes to Tremonti no matter what. If I have something I feel strongly about that I think is a great idea, but I can't necessarily sing it the way I hear it in my head, I save that for miles. Because when I'm writing vocal melodies, I write in my falsetto. Because uh, if I'm writing for hours and hours and hours, I can't sing in my full voice. Also my full voice, and I, I teach this at my, my songwriting clinics, is when you're writing a vocal melody, if you're using your full voice, you're only limiting yourself with your melody to where your, your voice can hit, right. you know? Um, your imagination can go way higher and way lower and way all over the place. And once you find that melody, then you can take your guitar and pitch it to where you can sing it. But in the meantime, whatever key you're singing at the time, if you can sing in your falsetto, um, it's limitless. You can sing wherever you want. Right. And I also people when I'm writing melodies, I try to consider myself like uh, when I'm singing in my falsetto, I, I, I'm like, I'm like Robert Plant. I'm like whoever the hell I want to be at that yeah. moment. I can imagine myself being the greatest singer on earth. It's, if I'm singing my normal human, normal voice, I, I hear myself and I, and I limit myself at my creativity. But if I think outside the box as I'm somebody else, I feel just, uh, I feel like I write better stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really smart writing technique um, to, to remove limitations. Um, and, and, you know, you do a good job in the, in the Tremonti stuff that does have this heavier approach. It's got some of the thrash or speed metal. There's also, even in those songs where you're doing that, um, that home base, you talk about uh, picking you, mm. you, you break out into, into uh, melodic sections that are less typical of that style of music. And that's, to me, that's part of, part of what's defined the signature for Tremonti. It's not all the songs, but songs like You Waste Your Time and Another Heart, like the, those are quintessential Tremonti songs to me. Mm -hmm. um, it's because of the, you know, how you, they, they start out and they have all of that, that expectation of, um, of that heavier metal. And the, 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 these other sections are still metal, but there's more space in them. And they're more, they're, the melody is more evident to me in the, the verses and the choruses. Yeah, you know, it's, um, mel to me, melody is the most important thing again. And what my world is, what I'm trying to do as a songwriter is combine everything I've ever loved about music. And when I was a kid, I was, my parents listened to 70s soft rock and I love it. I lo it makes me feel good. It just makes me, it's yeah. to me, that's the, some of my favorite melodic stuff is from Jerry Rafferty or, you know, the, the old school, old school 70s rock, Michael McDonald stuff or, you know, all that yeah. old stuff. Um, Christopher Cross. Uh, and then I try to take the melodic approach they had and throw them in a band like Metallica, see what would happen, you know, or yeah. throw them in, you know. And, but I also like, um, I also like doom, you know. I like dark music. I like, I don't like anything in, in the middle. I like everything to be either super triumphant and uplifting or dark and desperate and just mean you know it's <laughs> I, I like to hit the both ends of it and and then somehow sing over it all and make it melodic you know yeah. um but i would love to do projects that go the completely that other direction and not have any 
you know, just, just do a dark, heavy thing and, and have it just be the darkest singer or dumb. But uh, I don't know. It's, there's not enough time in, in life to be able to do all the things you want to do. Oh. Well, I, you know, one of the, one of the things I like about this marching in time record is, um, uh, and I don't know if this is deliberate or if it's just or, an organic sort of gr- outgrowth of the time in which it was written, but there's, there is a, there is um, a dark edge to it, but so many of the choruses um, provide relief from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that was de- just an instinctive um, thing because of what you were writing about, like thematically, or if it's, if uh, you were like really intentional. Well, a lot of times, you know, the song will be about a, some sort of struggle. And then that chorus is kind of like a, you know, I'm talking broad strokes here. Sometimes that chorus is a release from that, you know, I'll say yeah. you're, you're in some kind of, um, you know, like, like, let that be us. You know, it's, I, I think the chorus is pretty much, um, let's leave everything behind. Let's not worry about the past. Let's just worry about what we got now. Let, let that be me and you. Let that be whoever worked, whoever's listening to this song right now. Let that be us. Let us find peace. Let us um, leave the past behind kind of thing. But then the verses will be kind of the story of why people might feel that way, the struggle. You know, so that chorus is the release a lot of times. I, I, I try to write songs around the chorus. The chorus is the, is the key, yeah. is the, the heart of a song. And most, more times than not, the song will start from the chorus down. You know, that's, if you, I, I could have the best verse in the world. If you don't have that chorus, it's not a song. Yeah, that's you right. Could, and you could have a mediocre verse, not that I'd ever want to do that, but it's still going to be a great song if you have an incredible chorus. Well, you know, there's, and there's some, um, I want to call attention to a few turns of phrase. You, there's a, in Marching in Time, you write, I know you will see if you believe the more that you give and the less you'll ever need. Like mm-hmm. that's a very, um, I mean, it's a, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to fix you with a label, but it's a very Christian attitude. That this well, idea that, you you know, the more you give, the you know, you, you're, it, you're rewarded for doing that, like the, your 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 inner growth, um, and and there's other religions that have the same idea, but it's a it's a it's a really really powerful human value you're writing about there. Yeah, you know, and I'm not a I'm not a um, a big organized religion guy. You know, my growing up, my parents might take me to Christmas or take me to church on Christmas or something, or maybe Easter. Yeah. Other than that, um, I didn't really have a big religious background, but. I do have that as a father, I want my kids to be the best kids they can be, you know? And that song was about a father speaking to his daughter about uh, how he wants her to live her life or how he wants the son, all my, all my kids live their lives. And um, I think in general, religion's trying to teach people how to live their lives. So I guess it's the same kind of, it's coming from the same, the there's same some, kind of thing. There's some, yeah, I mean, um, there's some sort of, um, desire to teach um, teach values that have some sort of um, I don't know kindness in them. There's a and and I guess hope. There's a lyric you have in the dying light that says, "In the dying light, <clears throat> we can begin to live again when we wake up to eternal life." It, it, I mean, it, it's um, it seems like it's pre prefiguring that. Hey, there's a lot of darkness. There's you know, it's going to be tribulation and challenge. But there's something beyond that, and and so yeah. that there's, you know you needn't be fearful in the face of those things. And those are, I mean, those are really strong ideas 
um, especially oh, that's, for children. It's funny that you say that. that that's a that's a Miles Kennedy lyric. The guy who who claims he doesn't believe, God, you know, yeah. and you know, I and you and you can write from a fictitious place, right? Just you know, yeah, yeah. get in the mindset of something. But um, it is it is interesting. Um, I don't know if this is like a you were saying before, like sometimes you, you just really hope there is something. Um, yeah, even yeah. if you don't know what that's about, you know, and there's been so much stuff along the way, you know, even, even people who, you know, who just straight up say God doesn't exist, um, have to admit, you know, there's a lot of things in this world that don't make a lot of sense that we know nothing about. I mean, how many times have you heard people talk about seeing a ghost or seeing a spaceship or seeing, you know, all these, all these things that yeah. most people don't believe in. I think I saw a spaceship. When I was, when I was like in college, I think I saw a spaceship. And when I explain what I saw to my drummer, Ryan, he thinks he was abducted. <laughs> and so these things that's like, some yeah. people just straight up don't believe and you have others who might have seen glimpses. So I've got a story that um, it, it really hit me hard about when my mother was, was, was dying. And I don't want to get dark here, but my mother was in a coma for months and she was dying and I was up in Chicago and me and my brother Dan would take turns sitting with her just to make sure she was okay. And, um, one night it was my brother's turn and, um, he, when his head was cursing God, he was saying, you know, how, how could you do this to me? How dare you? She's such a wonderful person and this and that. My mother woke up out of a, out of not speaking for, I don't know how long and looked at my brother and said, Danny, don't ever doubt him blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, real and this and that. Shut her eyes, never said another thing. My brother tells me this. I never thought of my brother considered him ever somebody to make something like that up. And it's one of those things that just floors you. You're like, are you kidding yeah. me? Are you, cause I was up there. I saw how long she was just not saying a word and he wasn't speaking out loud. So that's one of those things that, uh, you know, most of the people watching this will be like, that's ah, not real. It's real. It was real. Why would I, you know, I, uh, that's, that's the way I feel too. I am a person of faith, but, um, even were I not, I think it would be hard for me to turn a blind eye to things like surgeons who say, um, what happened in there is just beyond medical science to explain. Um, I always, I always remember I'm an English major. I'm a, I'm a, I, I, a refugee, I say from the humanities, but it, my Shakespeare time, there's that quote says there's more in heaven and earth than is dreamt of in your philosophy. I just think that's, you know, we can be as smart and as reasoned, as rational as we want. And yet we, there's going to be things we don't have answers to. Um, Same thing Einstein said, you know, he was, he was, he was completely God doesn't exist for his whole, his whole life. And then towards the end there, he's like, this world is so complex and so beautifully written in this, you know, that the, the cosmos is, is so complex. He's like, there's no way in the world that it's just an accident. And uh, yeah, at the, I think in the end, he said, there's, there must be something out there that created this because it's all beautifully woven together to create all that, that, that exists. It's just, just way beyond any of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love those sentiments. Um, well, look, we're right at the, the time here. I'm just kind of looking through my notes. This last record um, is so good. Um, I mean, all of the work is, but uh, I really do think that you're firing on all pistons now. And I love you in front of the mic. I love Miles too, of course. But there's, um, um, I love that you're, you know, and you have been for a while now. But I think you're, you're, 
your vocals are getting stronger. I, I have a particular bias there. So I listen pretty closely to that stuff. Um, um, I want to ask you just a couple more quick questions. There's in, in your song thrown further. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems to, it's kind of this thematically, it's kind of about this idea that um, you become as a, as an adult, you become disappointed in where you have arrived. Um, Cause I think all kids think they're going to be astronauts. You know, they've got like big ambitions. Where does, I mean, where did this idea to talk about this come from? Uh, you know, I think that that was one of the, um, you know, coming out of this whole depression of sitting at home for a, a year or more. Um, I think those, it just kind of came up. I think I, sometimes when I'm writing lyrics, I just spit words out and then I try to make sense of them as they come out and try to create a story from them. Yeah. And to me, the essence of that song is it's about somebody who's disappointed they've become as a person and um and you're thrown further you're further away from that that child who who had all these ambitions and all these you know liked themselves you know and, and it's not necessarily i don't write every song about myself maybe sometimes i felt that way on and off but um you know i think people sometimes people are in a good mood sometimes there are people in a bad mood sometimes they get depressed i think i started writing that song when i was a little on the on the darker side of things uh -huh. um and that's not meant to say that i'm disappointed in my career or my beautiful family that i've i have yeah well hey look man you've been more than gracious with your time um i want to commend everybody to um your most recent record marching in time i um are there, I know you've gone through some postponements. You have plans for the tour, uh, a touring of it more next year? Yeah, we're, uh, we have a tour scheduled for, I think, January 15th. We start in Europe. And then um, in uh, February, we're going to make up for a lot of the shows that we just missed out on this tour. I mean, it's just a devastating way to end the tour. And uh, we're going to do everything we can to make our schedule open up for uh, for the next the makeup of, of this tour so it's it's still being put together but we're going to do our best to hit all those shows will that um will that push the next ultra bridge out a little bit no we're still going in the studio in april and may with ultra bridge okay. that's my big that's my big stress right now is you know with with this marching in time record I could take my time, do whatever I wanted, but with this next Alter Bridge record, April's coming quick. So um, me and Miles are kind of in, we, we're this, me and Miles are very alike when it comes to work and, you know, we're both stressed out about it. And then we'll have a good week and then we'll feel great about it. And then the next week we'll feel stressed about it. Then we'll have a couple of good days to feel good about it. So it's this roller coaster until you hit the studio, but we'll never record a record unless we feel like it's ready to go. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, um, thanks for spending some time with us today. Um, so, so much good music. Look, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, out on the road. Um, look forward to you doing this softer, like more acoustic record someday. That, I, I think you'd be yeah. amazing at that. Well, I've got, a, I've got an album coming out next year that's top secret. It's getting announced March 21st. That's different than anything I've ever done. Yeah. And it's going it's, to, um, it's all for charity. So I want to help spread the word about it it's yeah i'm starting a i'm starting an organization called take a chance for charity 
and it's going to be challenging people with a platform to do something that nobody would ever expect them to do to raise money for charity. So that's cool. say you're a pride, go, you know, say you're a boxer, go wrestle somebody for charity, or say you're a, a heavy metal singer, go sing a country song for charity, you know, just something fun to raise money. And I'm going to do the first project. And, um, it's one of the most exciting things I've ever worked on. And that the album I did, I'm, I recorded an album and it's done. It's just for finalizing the mixes on it. And it's, it's something way different than anything I've done before. Okay. So, and this is, and this is how you're kicking off this new program is with this album. This, yeah. This, this album will be, um, you know, I've, um, my, you know, my, my daughter um, has Down syndrome and it, it made me want to do something to help, you know, and help, help other folks. And um, so she inspired me to start this and I, we started this thing called Take a Chance for Charity and uh, got together an incredible group of people. And um, we had, we have somebody who put up all the money for all the recordings and everything. So the very first record that sells goes straight to charity. That's cool. And I'm going to after I get this all put together, I'm going to try and chase down as many people as I can and just get this ball rolling. And, um, you know, I don't want to raise a, you know, a few thousand dollars or a few hundred thousand dollars with this record. I want to, I want to raise a hundred million dollars with everybody else participating and get everybody to, you know, have the slogan, you know, the most fun you ever had raising money for charity, you know, have oh, yeah. just people go do something, something to make, either make people laugh or make people go, wow, they're actually pretty good at this other thing. Um, I, I want to be a 90 year old man on my deathbed going, I raised all this money to do good for the world, you know, and feel good yeah. about it. It's, uh, it's one thing to be successful for your, for yourself and your family, but when you can affect, you know, other, other people and, and do something um, like that and just, just start this movement that turns into something. I hope it does. You know, I think the first project that, that we worked on is something, like I said, it's going to be one of the most exciting records I've ever put out. And, uh, from, for me as in my career and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, everybody I've played it for so far has, uh, had not seen it coming. So I hope, I hope I get the same response from the rest of the world. Oh, that's a good teaser right there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the release, as you said, in, in April. Uh, we're going to announce it on March 21st. March 21st okay. is National Down Syndrome Awareness Day, and we've partnered up with NDSS, uh, the National Down Syndrome Society, to um, help us, you know, launch this. And all the money will go straight to them. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. That's cool, man. Well, uh, good enough. Um, thanks again so much for for your time. Um, we'll put links. Is the best place for us to send people is just your personal website to get to all things Tremonti. Yeah, you know, I'm. Uh, the only social media I do is um, I do uh, Instagram and Twitter and I'm just Mark T. Tremonti on there. And, uh, you know, you can just go to Tremonti, marktremonti.com or Alter Bridge, Facebook. So there, I got so many people. <laughs> All right, man. Will you take care and um, you we'll watch for you down the road? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.